airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. There's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thanks for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC. We will open the phone lines up in the last segment of the show. Get your take on some of the topics we want to discuss today. First up, though, just a couple reminders to make sure that our listeners are abreast of what's going on with the American Family Association. Um, The AFA Town Hall with Abe Walker, Rob, and Alex McFarlane, I believe, uh, is happening tomorrow in Rayford, North Carolina at Rockfish Church. I believe that you can still sign up if you go to afa.net. It's a free event, but you do have to register. I know that the space caps at 500 and um, from everything that I've heard about these town halls in the past, um, that's not been a problem. So I just mm-hmm. would encourage anyone who's thinking about going, if you're in the area and you're thinking about attending this event, um, go to AFA.net and see if you can still register. Again, it's a free event, um, but you're going to need to register to be able to uh, to attend. And then also we turn our attention this week to One News Now, um, and, and which is so important. It's so critical as you see what's happening, <laughs> as you see what's happening as far as information goes. Yeah. I was actually, um, I was watching a documentary last night, which is one of my, well, non-guilty pleasures, <laughs> but I just, I don't feel guilty about it. You know, right. it's just one of those things I don't often get to do because the kids don't enjoy the kind of documentaries that I enjoy. <laughs> and right. let's just face it. They pretty much, whenever the television is on, they own it. Like that's, it's pretty much on usually for them. You know right. what I mean? It's something that they're interested in. Um, we cater to them a lot. I just know, I know that when they are, you know, grown, um, <laughs> it will be restored to us the joy of just yeah. being able to, you know, <laughs> right. like we were talking to them. The, I'm, I'm already, I'm sorry, you guys, I'm <laughs> on a tangent here, but you listen. So you're used to this, but we were talking to them and I, you know, I was telling them yes, just yesterday, I don't expect you to always want to watch the documentaries that start with in 1856. <laughs> Although I That's am the good trying ones. to create, I know they're the best. <laughs> Any documentary oh. that starts with, a deep voice that says in 1856, you know, and, and from there, you know, you're just there's going to be information that you're going to be able to take in and you'll walk away going, man, I'm smarter. You know, right. um, anyway, I was watching a documentary last night that was talking about um, which we've known this for a while, uh, the conversation around big data and how our information is used and um, and where the various conduits are of, mm-hmm. of that information. And of course, one of the things that was pointed out was not so much that we can ever have privacy, but what we are dealing with is, you know, Americans kind of need to rise up and say, no, we, you have to pay us Mm. to use our data. Our data is out there and we're not going to return to a place where it's not out there, Mm. but uh, you need to pay us for our data. And so it'll be interesting to see how that all goes. But to the point that I'm making about One News Now, uh, one of the things that was stated in this documentary was that, um, 
um, companies like Google direct you based on your footprint, mm-hmm. which, again, this is something that we know. And so, they, you know, the observation was made that that is incredibly lucrative uh, because not only does Google send you companies like Google, which let's just they're the, I mean, right. Yeah, they're they're the Xerox of like internet <laughs> right. use. <Right. laughs> they're the Kleenex of internet say. use. OK, exactly. you can be using other search engines. You can be doing all kind of other things. But you're always going to tell <laughs> somebody Google to Google it. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, and so anyways, the thing that was really, really startling to me about that was that um, these companies anticipate what you want to hear or what they think you want to hear. Mm-hmm. or want to read mm-hmm. or want to see. And so they allow you to see what they think you should see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. that's how it works. That is <laughs> so control, frustrating. Like, they control it. Like they you know? control it. And yeah. so when you, when you know that and you think about that, it's one of those moments where for me, I'm going, you know, I know that, mm-hmm. but when someone says it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when someone reminds me that that is yeah. what is happening with us. Um, ugh, there's just something that just kind of grates on you about that. Anyway, one news now. Um, one of the things that we want to remind you is that you can uh, sign up to get uh, daily news briefs from One News Now by going to onenewsnow.com. Uh, we'll be talking about this all week long. Uh, it's just one more of those attempts that we can make at trying to control the information we consume. Mm-hmm. You know, not letting someone else tell us what we want to see or what we should care about. Mm-hmm. Man, I, you know, yeah. yikes. <laughs> it feels, I'll, I'll tell you, it sometimes feels so helpless, yeah. you know, because you think of how reliant we are on these various outlets. And, and, you know, you just, you're hoping that you've gotten quote unquote, the rest of the story, right. you know, and, right. and chances are you haven't. Right. You know? So anyway, want to direct you to one and also let you know that when you're there, you can sign up for daily news briefs um, and, and hopefully get all of the information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what hopefully. I mean? Not just what someone thinks you ought to see. So yes. anyways, one news for that. And then again, uh, hearkening back to um, Rayford, North Carolina, that is happening tomorrow. Um, you're going to want to check that out by going to um, afaaction.net, mm-hmm. I want to say, afaaction.net. You don't have to pay for that event, but you do have to register. All right, Will mm-hmm. the Great, let's speedily move along to okay. several topics we have here to discuss Um Hopefully, they'll all kind of blend together nicely. Um, basically, it's like when you, <laughs> basically, when you look at these things, I, I, I always go to sort of my thought of like, man, you know, we're not okay as, mm-hmm. as like the church. You know, we're mm-hmm. not okay. We have to constantly be on our guard. We have to constantly um, draw the line in the sand. Well, actually, just stand behind the line that the Lord has already drawn in the sand. Um, I like to always say that we're on the Lord's side. And so therefore he is on our side. We have this idea about God that he is on our side. And and somehow, you know, we think, well, I have I have chosen my side and the Lord is with me. Hmm. Right. The Lord is not obligated to be with you and your arbitrary choice of sides Hmm. or your position in the earth. Like Hmm. the Lord is not obligated himself in that way. Right. But when we are on the Lord's side, Mm -hmm. then he is automatically on our side. Mm -hmm. Right. So the great task, the great hurdle I I feel we have to to bound is that we understand what it means to first be on the Lord's side and then to have him on our side. It's not this 
I do whatever I want, and then I expect the Lord to bless it because he's promised never to leave me nor forsake me. Right, right. Oh, what kind of new age thinking is that? What kind of (laughs) self-help, you know, free your mind? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Garbage is that. No, the Lord has established a side, and those who are wise, those who fear him, will get on his side, and then the benefit to you will be that he's on your side because (laughs) your side is his side. Right. That's what comes first. That's right. We have to we have to understand that. Um, the state of theology uh, report is out mm. from uh, Ligonier Ministries mm. and um, and also Lifeway uh, Research. And I actually used this study a couple years ago in a presentation that I did on church history um, at our marriage, family, and life conference, and it's talking about how, you know we hear about the church contending for the gospel that I say the gospel has never existed in safety mm-hmm. and that's always jolting to people. But I think it's important because I think people would say to me, um, no, because when we founded this country, the gospel was safe. Well, no, actually it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> because the facade of safety is on, what man. puts the gospel at greatest risk. Mm. When we believe that everything's okay, we just kind of go along. That's that's why there was a need for the first and second great awakening because the gospel never exists in safety. I mean, it's it's not just because there's no attack happening from outside. Mm -hmm. There is always an attack inside. Just sometimes there's an attack outside that people can see and they can kind of unite against. But there's always an attack that's happening against the authority of the gospel. And so. Anyway, I was using this study two years ago. They do this every couple of years, uh, the state of theology. And um, and I was a couple of years looking at, you know, how there are Christians who believe that um, Jesus was created. <laughs> and, that. and to that, I always respond, Arius would be so proud. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if I could just personify for a second, this is not to hint at any type of new age beliefs. I do not have those at all, but I do have a sense of humor. But I would just imagine that Arius would be like, I told you. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, Athanasius would be like, be quiet. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just if you could take a page out of history. Um, but no, and here we are, and this this um, this research, this report shows a lot about where we are in Christianity. One of the things that has come out in this report that I wanted to have a conversation around just a little bit, and then we'll talk toggle to some other news headlines. We need to go to Connecticut, as we would say in um, in Louisiana. We need to go make a pass over there at Connecticut. <laughs> it means to stop by. Yeah, just to make a pass over at Connecticut and talk to the the governor there. Um, seems he's upsetting some churches that are predominantly populated by people who are more melanated. Mm. They're like, what? Mm. He's upset in black churches. That's, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> That's a translation for you. Okay. Try to be careful, but sometimes you just got to say it. Um, so we'll talk about that in just a second. But this, this new study here that is out, the state of theology, um, uh, 22% of U.S. evangelicals appear to reject the Bible's teaching that gender um, the gender of a person as male or female is given by God. Mm. 22% of U.S. evangelicals appear to reject the Bible's teaching that the gender of a person as male or female is given by God, the creator, and instead appear to believe in gender fluidity. 22%. One in five. So just line uh, yeah. five evangelicals up. That's way and too many. 
So, <laughs> I mean, that I mean, is on, just very chilling. Now, here is my question, and you will remember Will the Great. We started talking about this years ago as this kind of increasingly became a thing. Um, when we were talking about revoice and we mm-hmm. were talking about churches not holding the line and we were talking about leaders of major denominations telling us that we need to carve out spaces for people and have, you know, right. conversations about people's gender identities and we need to become allies and, and all of these things. And, and, you know, none of this really, you know, sets right with the Christian, the Bible believing Christian. Um, but a while back we started talking about this and the big question is, you know, yes, Obviously, on the surface, we can look at these things and we can say, uh, yeah, no, that's crazy. <laughs> right. Like just yeah. on its own, like right. just biologically speaking, we can say, yeah, that's crazy. But I think for the Christian, we must not only allow ourselves, but we must force ourselves to be able to go deeper mm. and and to make a, a biblical case for the position that we take in culture. It's not just because we think it's crazy. Right. It's not just because we say, oh, that's weird. Right. And certainly it's not just because we say, well, that goes against my tradition. Mm. Right. Like we like to hide behind that. But what is more eternal is to make a case that is based on biblical revelation, that is based on the gospel and the importance of preserving the gospel. And so the question that we, we began asking a number of years ago is, does what we believe about gender have gospel implications? Mm hmm. And so, like, think about that for a second. Like, and, and I would encourage parents and grandparents, when you have this conversation with your kids, to be able to ask this question. Does what we believe about gender have gospel implications? This is the same question that we had to ask ourselves in our defense of marriage. It wasn't just because we thought that a man calling himself marrying a man was icky, right? <laughs> right. Or we thought that was gross. Oh, right. I just don't understand that. The question was, wait a minute, does this have gospel implications? Mm-hmm. And as we saw, you can unpack it and say, actually, yes, it does. Because by the time you get to the Apostle Paul defending marriage and talking about what marriage is, he makes the case that it is a picture of Christ in the church. That's right. So it's not just, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Forget about your comfort. Come on. Now. Is the gospel on the line and do we have to defend it? And so when we know that we do, then we can stand up with great certainty and do just that. Same thing with, quote unquote, gender identity. Mm. In fact, we'll make the case today that not only if we slide, as far as evangelicals are concerned, if we slide as it pertains to gender identity, right, then we have compromised the gospel. That's right. We, we have compromised what marriage is <laughs> as well. Even if we say, well, I don't support that, but I do think people can pick their gender. You can't isolate these things because the Bible has spoken very clearly on them. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. The church in America is going to suffer so terribly. And we laugh now, but they will come after us. And they will come after our children. While we are arguing over so many little things and mesmerized by so many trinkets, the net even now is closing around you and your children and your grandchildren, and it does not cause you to fear. You will be isolated from society as has already happened. Anyone who actually believes the Bible will be considered a lunatic until finally we are silenced. 
We will be called things that we're not and persecuted, not for being followers of Christ, but for being radical fundamentalists who do not know the true way of Christ, which of course is love and tolerance. You'll go down as the greatest bigots and haters of mankind in history. They've already come after your children, and for most of you, they got them. They got them through the public schools and indoctrination and the university and indoctrination, and you wonder why your children come out not serving the Lord. It's because you fed them right into the devil's mouth. So little by little, the net is closing around, and then it's not little by little. Look how fast things are going downhill just in a matter of weeks. Matter of weeks. But at the same time, know this, persecution is always meant for evil, but God always means it for good. You must settle this in your mind. This is the one thing I want to say over and over. Do not believe, down through history, you have a wrong idea of martyrdom and persecution. You think that these men were persecuted and martyred for their sincere faith in Jesus Christ. That was the real reason, but no one heard that publicly. They were martyred, and they were persecuted as enemies of the state, as child molesters, as bigots, as narrow-minded, stupid people who had fallen for a ruse and can contribute nothing to society. Your suffering will not be noble. So your mind must be filled with the Word of God when all people persecute you and turn on you. And if the Spirit of God and common grace pulls back and you see even your children and your grandchildren tossing in the lot that you should die. This is no game. You want revival and awakening, but know this. For the most part, great awakenings have come only preceding great national catastrophes or the persecution of the church. God is bringing a great awakening, but I believe that he is raising up young men who are strong in trust in the providence of God to be able to wade through the hell that's going to break loose on us. And it will be on us before we even recognize it. Apart from great awakening, these things are going to come upon you. Be ready to lose your homes and everything. He's calling us to come out of Babylon, to gather unobstructed by the fear and tyranny plaguing this country. He is grooming his army of priests and building his kingdom by purifying us in the all-consuming fire of his love. The alarm is being sounded and the banner of Christ is being lifted. The call is for Christians to join the resistance, defy tyrants, and kill giants. The kingdom of our risen Lord stands. Welcome back to Aaron Mm. the Addison's on American Family Radio. I don't know if you're like me. I'm telling you, I I find myself having to remind me to take a breath while I'm listening. Breathe. Like, just take a breath. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that was a a clip of uh, Paul Washer, but it was produced by um, Wrath and Grace. Uh, They have a project called Contra Mundum, and that was Mm -hmm. the intro uh, to their project. Um, so, but Paul Washer, man, you know, I, the clips and things I've heard from him, he's always been one just to seem like he just gets to the truth and yeah. speaks the word of God. And <laughs> that mm-hmm. was powerful. That's one of those moments that yeah. that's, that is one of those moments. I tell you, I, you know, look, we, and man, we're here. 
we we are here when when yeah. we say we exist as a minority in America. Bible believing Christians exist as a minority in the United States of America. We have got to prepare ourselves for that reality. I mean, when you hear Paul Paul Washer saying your suffering will not be noble. When you see your grandkids and your kids casting their lots against you, throwing in <laughs> their chips and saying, yep, get them. They mm. are haters of their fellow men. Uh, again, and this is one of the reasons that I love church history so much is because it shows us that this is not new to the church. Right. Right. That the Lord has always raised up a standard. He's raised up men and women who will say, you know what, though, it cost me my life. Um, I may not have a lot of friends. Um, I don't know if they take this uh, contramundum from Athanasius, you know, who's saying who who it was famously said of him uh, <laughs> that the whole world is is against him. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he was like, well, then Athanasius is against the world. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, if, if the whole world is against me and I'm standing on the Lord's side, right. then I'm against the whole world. Right. And, and we have got to put ourselves by daily communion with the Lord, daily feasting on the word of God in the position where that becomes normal for us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like now we've got to be in that place where we're just used to being peculiar. We haven't had to be peculiar. Yeah. So you got to make you got to you got to train your muscles. And, and we have to uh, train our mind to be there now. That's you right. Know, you, you, you're not going to get into the situation or into the fire and just say, oh, you know, I'm going to stand like you have That's to. Right. You have to be convinced, thoroughly convinced right now, mm -hmm. you know, looking forward to like what's coming. We see it. We see mm -hmm. it. You know, That's and exactly so right. it's preparing our mind for, for action. We it's we've got to be in that place where we say, look, we don't need to take a sidebar on this. Yeah. You know, OK, yeah. we don't need to step aside and, and decide how we're going to um, justify our, you know, um, cowering <laughs> in, in, the, in the face of what we know to be true. It's we've already made this decision. And this is why we're constantly saying here on air in the Addison's that we have got to equip our children and our grandchildren to be able to stand. Remember, it is not. Look, I, I am not. And people will say, no, this has come down to a color thing, man. They've made, you know, the good and the bad. And they've 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 uh, drawn the line down um, down color lines. <laughs> no, they have not. No, they have not. It is based on biblical conviction. <laughs> that's that's where the line is. And, and some people today will call it ideology. And, yeah, there's some, you know, ideological lines that can. But the eternal line that is drawn is biblical conviction. Is the word of God inerrant? Do you believe that? Do you stand on the side of the inerrancy of the word of God? And then do you live it now? Because there's one thing for people to say, I believe the word of God is inerrant. Mm -hmm. um, but to not apply that. Yeah. <laughs> OK, you're not yeah. going to be a threat to anybody. People don't care about you like you're they, they can see you coming and all you do is just talk. But if you believe that and then you live that, oh, really, mm. to the dogs, hmm. to the wild beasts, yeah. to the fire, to the oil, you know, and whatever that looks like today in 21st century America, we are here. And so, again, getting back to this 20 percent of evangelicals. 20% of evangelicals who embrace the concept of gender fluidity, that it is not that our gender is not established or that our sex is not established uh, because the whole use of the term gender is a farce. Anyway, um, biologically, our bodies are who we are made to be. Mm -hmm. Right. So forget about this whole like, you know, the, the contortionist approach to <laughs> human sexuality yeah. and sexual identity. I mean, it's just ridiculous in the beginning. 
The Lord says God tells us in his word that he made them male and female, that he made them in his image and gives them specific uh, instructions on how they are to live in such a way that glorifies him, right? That they are to be fruitful and, and to multiply. Mm-hmm. So here's the question. And, you know, does what we believe about gender have gospel implications? Well, again, if you are one of those Bible believing Christians, right? If you are one of those ones that are going to be on the outskirts of culture that they say away with them, they're not worthy to live. That's who we are guys. And we, we have got to get ourselves in a place <laughs> Where if we don't have that courage, we pray that the spirit of God emboldens us, right? Because just as the apostle Paul told Timothy that the Lord's not giving you a spirit of fear, the same is true for us because we have the one spirit. So it's not going to be true that Timothy didn't have a spirit of fear, but you guys, you have it and you just walk in and embrace your fear, (laughs) embrace your fear. No, what do we have? We have of love and of power and a sound Sound mind. mind. Amen. Right? Love and a power and of a sound mind. So, again, the soundness of mind allows me to see that if I compromise on the creation account, let's think about this, because remember, our understanding of the need for the gospel goes back to the beginning. It goes back to the beginning. So if we could be loosey goosey on creation and say, well, you know, maybe that's not literal that they're just male and female. Maybe those were just at the time social constructs and these become fantasies that we have all kind of bought into. Right. If we if we do that, then what's to stop us by the time we get to Genesis chapter three Mm -hmm. and we we read that there is a literal actual rebellion Mm. whereby through this rebellion, sin enters the human genome. Do we believe that or do we say, oh, God, no, nobody believes that. (laughs) And then let's go a step further. Mm -hmm. Let's look at Matthew chapter 19, where our Lord Jesus, who, again, according to the the Ligonier study here, uh, state of theology, um, there, there increasingly are Americans and Christians, and I'll have to turn, I have a different tab open for that, but um, just to get the exact percentage, that don't believe that Jesus is God. Mm. Don't believe that Jesus is God. Man. Now it, we can, it, man, we can tackle that in a yeah. minute because I want to stay, I want to stay <laughs> here for just a second. Okay. Um, but we'll, we'll so tackle foreign. that, like man. It's how, so like, you know what? Like <laughs> oxymoron. Like what? It's it's, you know? it's ridiculous. And and, <laughs> like, and really? let me tell you something. And again, this is why, it, as as we again look throughout the the years of church history, where we see the development and the establishment of creeds. Right. Mm. It was to simplify our understanding and our memorization of the fact that there are some things that are indispensable. If you this is what we teach our kids fundamentals. Right. I say our kids, I mean, at our local assembly and inside our home. That's right. All right. We teach our kids what fundamentals are. We teach our kids what are indispensable in the gospel. And so that means that if you remove one aspect of something that is fundamental to a thing, then you have changed that it's thing. Not, You're yep. no longer talking about that thing. That's right. Right. People can be using the same terms. But if we understand what's fundamental to the gospel, what's fundamental Why Jesus? Why the God man? This is Mm. another doctrinal Mm -hmm. lesson we taught the kids in our local assembly and they can get it. Why the God man? Why does Jesus have to be 100 percent man and 100 percent God? We have to fuel our kids with this understanding so that when people come along and say, no, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Then our kids also. Meanwhile, they're learning logic. They can say that's illogical. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's illogical. 
Because a great teacher cannot also claim to be God. Come on. He cannot also claim to be of the Father, which he did repeatedly. Mm -hmm. So that that right there puts a kink in the whole good teacher thing because now he's he's crazy. (laughs) But here we go, 22% of evangelicals saying, yeah, this whole gender thing, you know, it's, yeah, it's a matter of choice. Like it's not a created thing. It's not, this is not something that is designed by God. So then again, the question is, if, if we go with that assertion, mm-hmm. do we then jeopardize the gospel? Well, yes, well, yeah. because then we also in Matthew 19 have Jesus who refers to the create. He refers back to the creation account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the good teacher. The good teacher refers back to the creation account and then he orders this creation of male and female, defining it as a one flesh union. Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, verse three. I'll start at verse three. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, here's what's interesting. When Christians say that any other type of presentation of a quote unquote marriage is not marriage, we have said that largely based on our tradition. Well, we just we're pro traditional marriage. It's actually deeper than (laughs) that, guys. Much deeper. Come on, don't downgrade what God has given us, okay? (laughs) It's not a part of your cultural norm. That's right. In fact, it is way more accurate to say that there is no other marriage except what happens between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. Why? Because in the design is described the one flesh union. In the design, male and female become one flesh. So anything other than that cannot fit that description. So you hear people say, Jesus never talked about that. He never talked about well, he talked about this and what marriage is and what it's supposed to be. And like you said, the fundamentals, you try to change it or take anything away or take things out. It's not what it's supposed to be. It's not what it's supposed to be. So Jesus did speak on it. He absolutely spoke on it. (laughs) And the only way you could be unaware of that is if your choice of highlighter is a Sharpie. (laughs) If you go through the scriptures, you highlight with a Sharpie. You know what I mean? (laughs) Then you're like, well, I don't see that. Well, of course you don't. You need, you actually need to use a highlighter. Come on. Don't use a Sharpie. (laughs) Don't pick and choose what you want. Don't pick and choose what makes you comfortable. So listen, I I would say this, and I understand what is going on with um, Ligonier Ministries and, and, and uh, LifeWay Research and all of this stuff. And I understand that, they have to use certain terms because these are these terms are how people self-identify. But and I hear the music, so I'm going to have to pick this up on the other side of the break before we get into phone calls. What we as Christians have to say, and I think one of our listeners, a brother uh, called us last week and said, man, we have to make sure that we clearly define what is and what isn't the church. I agree. So let's clearly define what is and what isn't an evangelical or who is and who isn't an evangelical. Yeah. Because the number one defining factor, or as is commonly accepted as a definition of an evangelical, is violated in the person's assertion here. Mm. Oh, no, it's it's not like it was in the beginning. Mm. I'm going to make that case when we get back on the other side of the break. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We'll grab the break really quickly and, and come right back. 
America God shed His grace on thee We've come too far We've been through too much Why would we ever leave? Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that's John Howard, A Song for the Nation. Um, so, Will, you brought it to my attention that there was a question in the Cherubin, our online chat forum. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what's going on with Ligonier Ministries? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> let me let me let me clarify my point here. I'm saying that for the sake of this research here, every couple of years, um, the use of the term evangelical mm-hmm. um, to describe beliefs. OK, I think that there are some questions that are asked of people that though they themselves identify as evangelicals we've got to say that's not evangelical teaching right so that's all i'm saying i'm not saying that ligonier ministries has done anything wrong right i'm just saying it's it's one of those things of you know evangelicals say this 22 percent of evangelicals say that gender is not defined by god in the beginning it's not a part of creation it is you know whatever Mm -hmm. um I would say then that person no longer gets to be defined or described as an evangelical and why. And for the sake of this discussion and for the sake, even post-election, we were having this conversation. Mm-hmm. What's an evangelical? What's an evangelical? Everybody scratching we talked their about head. it a couple, a couple of times. We had, know, to, we had to. To lay it out what it, what it is, you know. Because they were trying to turn these beliefs that we as Christians have, mm-hmm. okay, generally speaking, they were trying to turn them into a a color question. Right. So our response right. is, no, sir. Right. You can't do it. Because <laughs> they're also, since you want to do this, they're also black evangelicals <laughs> and Asian evangelicals right. and Hispanic evangelicals. Like, stop it. With the whole color thing, it's evangelicals. These These are our convictions, right? And so number one, when you look at the definition, because again, we're talking about 22% of evangelicals rejecting that human sexuality, that sexual identity is a part of God's creation, mm-hmm. that it is not, you, you, there is no such thing as being gender fluid. You know, that's, well, let me say it this way. I don't want to be confusing. So Bible believing Christians, <laughs> all right, um, believe that God in the beginning made male and female, mm-hmm. that we are made in his image that he made the two one flesh the first institution that the Lord gives here is marriage. Right. And he defines it and mm-hmm. he has made it such that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but now 22 percent of evangelicals are saying, according to this Ligonier study that comes out every two years, state of theology are saying that they don't believe that they believe mm-hmm. that gender is more fluid than that. Mm-hmm. Our question is, does what we believe about gender have gospel implications? Absolutely, it does. Yes. Absolutely, it does. For the sake of defining evangelicals again, and I would say on the basis of point number one, Mm -hmm. anyone who takes a view over and against the scriptures is no longer an evangelical Christian. So that's the next question. What is an evangelical Christian? Okay, so number one, four, mm-hmm. four, four descriptions or four descriptors here. Number one, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Okay, <laughs> check. So that, you, that automatically puts these people. The twenty-two percent, you're gone. out. Of, you're you're out. They're off, they're and off the also island. the th- <laughs> and, and you're off the island. <laughs> and also the thirty percent of evangelicals, because I alluded to this, I want to give you the percentage. Thirty percent of evangelicals that say Jesus isn't God. Hmm. 
30 percent of evangelicals, according to this study here released in 2020, State of Theology, 30 percent of evangelicals say Jesus isn't God. However, most of them agree that he was a great teacher. Mm. Why you follow a crazy man? (laughs) Why do you follow a crazy man? Because there is no question. I'll get back to the description. I mean, they're they're saying what Muslims say about Jesus. Yes. He was a great prophet, a good teacher. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So, again, uh, take off that evangelical label is what I'm saying. I understand for the sake of us being able to see where we are, we kind of have to use that a little bit here. Okay. But here we go. So, uh, describing yourself as an evangelical means that you submit to this. Okay. To these, to the following. Number one, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. It is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus as their savior. Check. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Number three, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. Ding. And number four, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, so just in <laughs> case you didn't know whether or not you were an evangelical, if you subscribe to any of these four tenets here, then yes, that technically for research purposes and any other purpose, I guess, voting blocks, whatever. I, I don't like the whole <laughs> voting block thing, but mm. whatever. Then you would be described as an evangelical. But here you also have, oh, let me open the phone lines. 888-589-8840. We can start getting some of your calls queued up. 888-589-8840. Here you also have 30% of evangelicals, 30% of evangelicals who say that Jesus isn't God. But yeah, he was a good teacher. Yeah, he was a great teacher, but I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say he's God. Mm. Then you are outside of the parameter of scriptures. You you are outside of the support of the scriptures when you say that. John 10:30, I and the Father are one, Jesus said. And guess what? The Pharisees, the religious among him among them knew exactly what he meant cuz mm-hmm. they challenged him, "Wait a minute, you're a mere man and yet you're claiming to be <laughs> God?" John 10:33. You're you're claiming to be God? Before Abraham they knew was, exactly what he meant. I am. <laughs> yes, hello. Exact another example. Jesus declared he's, he's like before Abraham, before Abraham was born, I am. Like, drop, oh drop my the goodness. Mic. <laughs> man. Oh my goodness. Like, what? Which again speaks to his eternal existence. He has not created Arius, mm. right? Come on. Like we have to be able to get ourselves comfortable with navigating the word of God and, and digging in and being asked tough questions. And maybe you have that moment um, where you're like, you know, I, I don't exactly know where that is, but I'm going to excuse me using this expression that is out in the world right now. But I'm going to put in the work, (laughs) I'm going to do the work to find out where it is, because my faith is more important to me than anything that is popping off in this culture. Mm. That's the most important. That's where I'm going to invest most of my time. Listen to me. I man, I say this lovingly. And, you know, man, we need we need pundits. We need people who understand the implications of politics. We benefit from that. Mm -hmm. That, that's an incredible help to us when we step into a voting booth. But I'm going to tell you, as a Bible-believing Christian, if you can tell me more about the state of politics than you can about the state of theology, the state of your faith, I don't respect that so much. Mm. That just, I'm not geeked up about that. 
I don't care if you can tell me who's running here and who's running there and what his record is. If you can't tell me what Jesus's record is, if, if, if you can't tell me the basics of your faith, if you can't contend in the culture, if you can fight harder for politics than you can for your faith, I don't respect that so much. I'm going to tell you, I don't. I'm like, man, that's, that's wow. That's great. Whoa. Whoa. But I'm <laughs> man, you know, look, yeah, we'll go to the phone lines here, but I've met people who get man. <laughs> that's real. I'm in awe of the people who invest the time to behold their God. Mm. We want to know him. Amen. <laughs> My friend, Fred Hammond voice <laughs> in the resurrection as he suffered. We want to know him. This God who has captured us, who has ransomed us with himself. Mm. I want to know him. And if we don't have that passion, if we've allowed things to dull us for that. Well, that's look, that's how we get to the 30 percent and the 22 percent that we're talking about, people. Because everything else is kind of push that desire out. We don't we don't want him like that. There is nothing wrong with knowing a little bit about a lot of other stuff. But, man, there's got to be that thing that you know a lot about. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That thing that you're like, man, this is <laughs> I'm, I'm devoted to this. I'm, yeah. I'm going to dig in. Amen. Why are you following him so blindly like that? <laughs> we tell our kids all the time, your faith holds up under the weight of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And I can hear one of them right now. What does scrutiny mean again? <laughs> Close inspection. Yeah. Your faith, investigate it. Dig, dig around it. You'll not find holes. You'll not find gaps. You'll not find areas where you can accuse God. You dig around. And look, sometimes the questions are really tough for us as parents. We're like, man, that's, that's <laughs> a great question. Let us do the research on that. Because I, uh, off the top of my head, I... I don't know if I'm going to be able to give you a qu- an answer that is to your satisfaction, but let me tell you something. The Lord is not bothered by your questions. Amen. No other faith can boast that. <laughs> no other belief system can hold up under the weight of sco- scrutiny, passing the logic test. All right, let's go to the phone lines. Well, great. Where do we go first? All right, let's go to Ashley in Connecticut. Hi, Ashley. Hi, how are you? Good. Hello. Um, I just have a couple questions because you were talking about how if you're evangelical, you only believe that there's a man and a woman, right? We believe that God made them male and female, yes. That there is only male and female, man and woman. So you wouldn't agree with science then? Would evangelicals not agree with science and like everything that's coming out all the new stuff that we're learning in the past let's say 20 years about gender okay ashley tell me the science well i mean uh, there's tons of science everywhere tell me the science give give me a few points give me give me a few points ashley to tell me that there is not just male and female biologically speaking scientifically speaking some people are born with both genitalia. So what Oh, wait, hold on that? a second. Hold on a second, Ashley. You said both genitalia. So are you saying right. that there's a binary choice for them, male or female? 
there is a choice whether they decide they want to live their life as a male or they want to live their life as a female. It's up to them. Even, even with that anomaly, even with that abnormality in birth, the reason we identify it is because there are two sexes. And you, you actually, Ashley, whether you realize it or not, you said that in your question. So the reason we can identify that this person is born, I think it's called intersex or with two, two of the same genitalia is because we know that there are only two. If there were not only two, mm-hmm. then we would have a different category that we put that person in. In fact, the basis for our science depends on our understanding that there's only male and female. Now, I, I, I want to move on. I want to be generous here. But even that, what we do, we often grab for like, you know, these are like the minorities among Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And we grab at that because we really want to defy God. We we want to stand against the wisdom of God. And so what is it that we grasp for? We grasp for those things that we say, well, this is I mean, come on, that really does happen. Well, here is my there are some children (laughs) who are born without limbs. Right. Do we put them in a different category of humanity or do we say, man, that is a birth defect? And then the question becomes, how do we know, Ashley, that it's a birth defect? Well, we know that because there is a standard that we have come to accept and a standard that we have come to expect when children come into the world that they are either male or female. All of biology, all of your cells cry out that you are male or female. Changing body parts does not change your sex. It does not. It just changes body parts. I am not a female just because of body parts. (laughs) At the cellular level. I am female, and so are you, Ashley. And so when we talk about new science, Mm -hmm. what is it that we're talking about? Right. We are talking about new social constructs, and I hesitate to call that science. Let's try to squeeze in another call. Will the Great, where do we go? All right, let's go to Stacy in Mississippi. Hi, Stacy. Hey, how are y'all? Good. Hello. Um, I just wanted to say that I love listening to your show, and I know you didn't talk about child discipleship today, but can you give me a few pointers on what that looks like? Like, I've done the New City Catechism, and I've just ordered Israel Wayne's book, Raising Them Up, but mm-hmm. if you can just give me some advice on what to do or some new techniques. Yes. Okay. Stacy, can I ask a question real quick? What are the ages of your yes. children? Nine, six, and three. Mm-hmm. Oh, precious. Okay. Awesome. So it's going to look different for them, right? Because they're at different ages. But for your nine-year-old and your six-year-old, I would say that that is the time where we start to train them to read the word of God and ask tough questions, right? So that's where for our family, we are studying through books in the Bible, where we are going through line by line. And when you do that, there will arise the opportunity for you to answer these organic questions because the scriptures present themselves in such a fashion that we get to know God. That's right. So what you're going to happen across is a great conversation repeatedly. I would I would strongly suggest as much as you can daily, line by line. And look, you're going to come across some t- some tough questions. All right. They're going to say, wait a minute. I don't understand that. <laughs> but this is where, number one, we trust the Holy Spirit. 
And number two, we trust that the Lord has given us great teachers and elders that we can look into these things Mm. deeply. We can learn from them and we can get back to our kids on the answers. I may have a little bit more to say about that. I'm sure you know I do, (laughs) but we're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.